From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders in Asia about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. Welcome to another episode of The Venture. For our ninth episode, I'm excited to welcome Austin Bryan, Senior Director of Innovation for CLP Holdings. Austin joined CLP in May 2016, leading the group's efforts to develop innovative business models as decarbonization and digitalization opened up new opportunities in the global energy market. In this conversation, we talked about how he launched the traditional utility player on a path of innovation and sustainability. Austin shared with us how an organization can build sustainability into its key strategy, promote a culture of innovation within the organization, and reinvent its business for the future. There's a lot to cover. Welcome, Austin. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Andrew. There's so much happening in the energy sector around innovation. Tell us, how did you get involved in the industry? And then I want to kind of dig into kind of how you see the world and what's in the horizon in terms of innovation. Perfect. I came to the energy sector from a journey of of looking at the disruption in the telecommunication sector and then the move through digital content and fantastic digital economy changes that took place over the last 15, 18 years. I looked at energy as the last sector of the economy that hadn't been disrupted. And then I linked it back to something which I think for a lot of people is increasingly important, which is a higher purpose to your work. I was really keen to be a part of that change and lead through the digitization of energy and the changes that have already taken place around ubiquitous access to content. So you've had a career in um, not just digitizing a incumbent business, but it sounds like, you know, taking it to the next level of innovation and, and business building. For energy, how do you frame what's in the future for us when it comes to sustainability and innovation? For the energy sector, it is a pretty seismic shift from a traditional one-way movement of uh, I generate electricity, I transmit it, I distribute it, I retail it, to ubiquitous access to a multifaceted world where uh, you and I are independent producers of energy, consumers of energy, sharers of energy, much in the same way that we now live and breathe uh, digital content today through our mobile devices, whether those are iPads, iPhones, laptops. And so that journey is a big one for the sector, underpinned by the need to not just be able to create electricity, but now create clean electricity. So lower carbon intensity, more efficient and available anytime, anywhere, and ultimately movable in a way uh, that puts the control in the hands of businesses and consumers. That's a very different world than the one that started with my company that was 120 years ago that started in Hong Kong. Austin, you mentioned ubiquity. What does that mean from a customer or even a, an incumbent perspective? Well, I, you know, I was thinking, if you look at what happened uh, 15, 20 years ago, jobs, cars, and real estate all shifted. Who felt the blow of that was, was physical newspapers. Today, if you look at electricity, people increasingly want to understand how is it produced, where is it produced, and what's the carbon intensity of that? If you look at social responsibility, so anytime, anywhere, ubiquitous access to information and the transparency of that information is the context for individuals. And I think for, for uh, increasingly for large corporate organizations that are looking to be socially responsible and to have a sustainability strategy, you must understand all of that and be able to articulate it both for your shareholder and for your customer. So it's almost like you sustainability 
is no longer just obviously a, a thing to do on the side. It's becoming core ubiquitous to to everything that you're doing. You know, I I spoke with uh, Jesper in a previous show, the CEO of White Peak. They're operating thousands of uh, residential real estate complexes in, in China. And he was commenting that it's almost like if you don't have a clear, transparent sustainability strategy, it's, it's almost like you won't be able to do business. It's, it's how serious it's getting. Oh, I think it is. You know, I think there's clearly a, increasingly a sharp focus from a shareholder imperative. But I, I think large organizations today have can no longer simply have latitudes and aspirational statements in a sustainability section of their annual report. Uh, the scrutiny around what are you doing to transform the way that you consume energy and how much carbon intensity are you aware of in your organization or in your logistics and supply chain or your procurement processes? And how are you going at reducing that carbon intensity? today, that's specific and clear, and companies need solutions for that. Where the energy sector, the transformation over the last few years has been away from, well, I generate, uh, transmit, and distribute, and retail energy to, I am the embodiment of what people are trying to become as a sustainability organization in the way that it operates as opposed to an aspiration. Right. So I like that. On that note, you know, a lot of organizations right now are trying to figure out how do they digitize the core business? What are the adjacent businesses they want to step into? And what are the brand new markets completely separate from their, their core business that they could disrupt or, or enter? Maybe walk us through a little bit of how you're seeing those three parts and you know, share a story if you have one on maybe a, a specific project or endeavor you're, you've embarked on. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of the McKinsey framework around Horizon 1, 2, and 3. And we see the energy sector at CLP much that way. So if you look at the two jobs to be done in the energy sector, first, there's the optimizing the assets that you currently have. So how do you, how do you make sure they're digitized, that they're transparent, they're visible, and you have an awareness of the way that they perform in the most efficient way possible? The other side of that is, is really the eventuation of new markets that are going to materialize. And that process, as you identify, is first of all, how do you become inherently digital, decarbonized, and electric yourself. And then the adjacencies that do exist from that, for example, for us are energy management in buildings. So if you look at a, a building developer today, they're, they're thinking about their development projects uh, in two ways. One is how do they demonstrate that they are sustainable and what does that mean? And so for them, that is a fundamental shift in the way that the buildings provide information and that the way that Everyone from individual participants in a room to the procurement or the facilities people can have control options and choices around energy intensity, carbon intensity, and energy utilization. And that is a project for many companies today, which is how do I make my asset base practical and engaged in that sustainability strategy? We do that with a, a digital energy platform that we've created that we call Smart Energy Connect, which offers building uh, energy efficiency solutions for People, small, medium enterprise, large corporates, uh, building developers, building owners, and you know, much in the same way that every other sector of the economy utilizes digital insights today to be able to look at one-to-one, one-to-many solutions, anomalies, and information driven from artificial intelligence with deep learning or machine learning. So you said two things there. One is you are starting by reducing carbon emissions yourself, right, as a core business, and then it seems like with with Smart Energy Connect, you're, you're starting to help others, especially in, in real estate or in, in commercial buildings. And uh, commercial buildings are one of the highest emitters of carbon, right? 
Correct. That's an example where, where I live today in Hong Kong. It, energy consumption, 90% of that is in buildings and 60% of the CO2 emissions are coming from those buildings. And so uh, there's a strategic imperative to reduce the energy consumption and also then reduce the carbon intensity. Now, for a traditional utility that's not in the 21st century mindset, that could look like it's counterintuitive. Why do I want to reduce electricity sales? Well, actually, the reality is, to your question about adjacent markets, if I don't, a software-intensive asset light organization is going to come in and disintermediate and disrupt me, and they will get those earning streams anyway. So the harsh reality from a shareholder is, well, do you have authenticity to be in that space? Can you offer solutions in that environment? For us, it is very clear for us to be able to say, we want to help you reduce your electricity consumption. We want to reduce uh, carbon intensity, and we can do that through 21st century solutions, which are digitization, decarbonization, and electrification, and visibility and transparency of those things in a way that is self-evident in every other part of our daily lives. And just to get a little more info on Smart Energy Connect as an asset light platform, you know, if, if I own 100 commercial buildings in Hong Kong, what are the typical benefits or savings uh, if I have the platform? You know, pretty exciting. Honestly, uh, you can look to 15 to 25 percent reduction in your OPEX. And, and so if I take an example, we like to your point around energy management in and around buildings is an adjacency. But if I look at new markets and I go data centers, energy consumption is 40 percent of the OPEX of a data center. And so if you look at the reality that we're all living with edge based computing requirements and, and edge based data centers are getting exponential growth in the data that they have to manage, move, and control. Uh, well, if, if I can help somebody who runs a data center by reducing their energy consumption and offer the ability to lower their carbon intensity, that's a, that's a compelling argument. Now, that's not what a traditional utility would have done. They, they wouldn't understand how to move through that value chain and, and be connected. And, and also, frankly, those tools that come are going to be from companies that are software competencies themselves. And so how do you partner with them? How do you bring them into your your framework? And how do you make them part of a joint value proposition that is coherent, cohesive, and executable? Those are the, the things that you know we've spent quite a bit of time on over the past few years. It sounds easy on paper, but I would imagine it takes a huge amount of culture shift and capability shift in order to you know launch something like uh, Smart Energy Connect. And let's dig into that more, you know, sort of like the, the practical steps on how an organization needs to to do this, right? Because it's, in many cases, depending on the industry, all about speed. If you're not moving fast, you're going to get disrupted. And so maybe maybe by Smart Energy Connect or, or other new businesses in your portfolio or new initiatives, how do you change the culture? How are you talking in the boardroom about making these these changes? That reality is you have to, first of all, lay out the disintermediation that you face. And the if you're a sector that's facing digital disruption, you are facing a decline in earnings from your core business. Now, then the next question is, do you believe that you have the right commercial framework to be able to engage in those adjacent solutions, whatever sector you are? And so do you have the permission? Do you have the capability? Or are you, are you audaciously trying to do something that you have no competency in doing? And so those are the, the board level questions, which is, okay, maybe I get your adjacency question. Why should we be there? What's the risk of, of not being there? How do we be there authentically and sustainably? And then in your organization, you're cutting at the heart of what your core competencies were historically and saying, these are new competencies that we need to have 
that graft into the DNA of the company going forward. That is a non-trivial piece of work, irrespective of whether you pick the right solutions and you have the right external facing value proposition. When you think about where you're heading, especially in Smart Energy Connect and other platforms, what kind of new capabilities are you prioritizing? Are you trying to hire data engineers and you know making a sort of a, a leap in the new talent that you're you're bringing into the organization? So absolutely meticulously focused on as a key area of that bucket of things you must do to be successful. So I don't want to just throw out uh, you know data scientists, data architects, enterprise architects, but in essence, what you're talking about is how do I bring in software development skill, enterprise architecture as an example, or you know, the ability to write, write code, understand intelligent apps as they graft into cloud-based services. Can you run your services on multiple cloud environments uh, with uh, the appropriate cybersecurity? Uh, for us, we run on three different cloud environments, and we do that fundamentally in a way that is switched into, whether it's all the, the ones that you would know today, whether they're in China or in the rest of the world. And to be able to make those solutions available, you first of all have to have people who can write microservices, uh, create those capabilities, graph them into an engineering energy excellence, and then combine the two, because that's where it gets exciting for us, the domain knowledge that we have in our sector, plus the skills today that are allowing companies to be competitive, to compete anywhere, anytime, ubiquitously. A lot of incumbents talk about converting themselves into a technology company, you know, regardless of what industry they're in. You know, we have to become a tech company to adapt. And I'm just curious, aside from what you're doing with Smart Energy Connect, how do you approach where to play? Is it increasingly a, a portfolio approach where you have, you know, there's like 10 ideas that you have on the table and you know you're you're taking big swings at at three out of the ten each quarter? Or, or are you just starting to ramp up the the velocity of these these types of experiments? So Two things. One is ambiguity and pace. And so today for the energy sector, which is historically a five nines or maybe even a 12 nines accuracy focus and, and performance clarity, there's greater ambiguity in the future than ever before. So it's maybe not the middle ring of a bullseye, it's the next ring out. And you have to articulate in an organization like ours, hey, we have to be somewhat comfortable with the fact that we're not as clear as we used to be, but we work very hard to unpack that ambiguity. And we have to operate at a pace that's fundamentally different in the historical uh, rhythm of the business. So there's a constant level of discomfort in that. So how do you constantly make sure that people are uncomfortable, but not so uncomfortable that they're ready to lash out, but they're not so complacent that they're at the back of the bus? So every day, the challenge is to go home and, and say, am I constantly uncomfortable? Have I done enough to make sure that we're uncomfortable as an organization? And having said that, then you need to make very clear choices. And so for us, we look at energy infrastructure and energy as a service. So if you believe that digitization, decarbonization, and electrification are the overarching themes that are driving us back to actionable leadership around sustainability, th then you can start to say, well, how does that play out? What, what does it mean for a building developer to think about EV infrastructure, uh, vehicle to grid technologies, building to grid technologies. What's my value proposition as a building developer to someone who's going to be a tenant and a long-term tenant? Or if I want to develop a data center, uh, how do I make myself attractive to somebody who has to have, who remains unnamed, but have already publicly stated 80% of their uh, energy will be renewable energy by 2023 and 100% by 2025. And you go, well, okay, I'm going to get you 
clean energy. It's going to have uh, AI attributes in it. It's going to reduce your uh, your consumption opex, and it's going to demonstrate your carbon intensity in a transparent way that is authentic for you to report out in science-based targets. Yeah, I want to chase you a little bit on the ambiguity part because I think this is where incumbents really lose time. Right? It's it's that balance between making an investment, taking a risk, and what the level of uncertainty is or ambiguity on on that risk. And, you know, what are some of the things you've learned over your career to engender more more confidence in the face of ambiguity? I had the privilege of working for some very, very talented people throughout my career. And one of them said, we're not trying to take less risk. We're trying to take more, better risk. And I, I loved that. Ambiguity doesn't excuse uh, rigor. You know, what we try to introduce here is that that we are as rigorous at unpacking the ambiguity and as focused about making the right choices while being comfortable that these are in a different frame than the historical mindset of risk. And uh, so we're not okay to say we threw away $100 million. We're okay to say that we have made specific plays on things which we informed ourselves about, which we thought were going to be top right quadrant, that were going to be helping us move into adjacent energy service area plays or selectively uh, helping open up new markets or fundamentally transforming the way that we operate to reduce our OPEX and make us have a longer life capability with existing assets in our infrastructure. More comfortable with the fact that you don't know everything, but you have to work very, very hard to know more every day. And to be more rigorous, are you really stressing kind of how you do the economic sizing or economic viability of, of these new projects or talking to partners. What's in your process to, to introduce that, that type of rigor? So let me take it back to the Smart Energy Connect example with uh, building energy management. So most organizations today don't know what their, their energy impost is for all of their, their, their building infrastructure. And so, you know, when you talk sustainability, you may talk to the sustainability head. If you talk about energy procurement, or solutions, you may talk to the procurement person. Our reality is we said, well, we'll look at our building infrastructure and we'll then put in all of our solutions in our own environment. We'll be able to show people how that works. So today, uh, in all of the buildings uh, that we have in our environment here in Hong Kong, we've deployed Smart Energy Connect solutions and we can say energy efficiency and carbon intensity. Let us show you how that works. Or at the Science Park, for example, which is our, our tech innovation hub for Hong Kong, uh, about 900 companies out there, and we run a dashboard that says, this is how energy is moving in and around this environment today. This is what it means to, quote unquote, reduce your carbon intensity or have visibility over your energy consumption. And uh, so that allows us to be hopefully more authentic in that process. Use your own asset base before you try to turn it on to your customers. If you're not authentic and you don't understand it, you can't sell it. I love that. I mean, basically, your first, your minimum viable product for Smart Energy Connect was to just implement it on your own real estate assets. Absolutely. And, and so then you follow that through with the electrification of the transportation sector as another good example. As you get more and more vehicles transforming into the uh, electrification side of it, you're going to have charging infrastructure and new ad hoc demands on the way uh, energy is consumed. And, you know, that's much like a mobile network in the way that we've consumed content over the last 15 years and how did network operators think in their minds about how do I figure out what the pulsing demand is going to be? Is it going to be at a sporting event? Is it going to be at a political event? And uh, what's exciting for, for our sector today is as that seismic shift in the electrification of transportation and for building owners, it's as important for them as it is for us 
as a, a facilitator in that environment. So energy as a service, for example, uh, will be something that, that we look at very, you know, responsibly. But you're saying also that the market is telling you that the demand to become carbon neutrals, there are regulatory goals out there, but the private sector is trying to maybe accelerate there. And with how you've turned your own real estate assets full into an R&D bed almost, are you starting to do that for other other sectors like energy as a service? Or That's absolutely the case. I think, uh, again, if you look at people who are large owners of uh, multiple buildings and uh, or you know industrial projects, industrial environments, uh, today those are I hate the term microgrids, but effectively they're little mini networks that where people can actually come in and be a part of that environment more economically because there's visibility and transparency around how everything from heating and cooling or electrification or charging infrastructure is available and shared. And uh, that energy as a service and energy infrastructure play is going to be increasingly uh, something that companies come to grips with and will benefit from if, if they understand how they want to play in that space. What are some tips or some guiding principles you might share with with someone in a completely different industry or organization that is facing a certain amount of inertia uh, when it comes to change? What would you share with someone who's who's facing similar or was facing any kind of friction or challenges with with their board? Yeah, so a couple of it's a great question. And um, so with the ambiguous title of uh, innovation. You have to be clear and define that in your organization. What does innovation mean? And so for us, it is about creation of future earning streams that are sustainable and viable going forward that embrace that disintermediation and disruption that's uh, upon your sector or the, the macro economy as a result of digitization, if you will, decarbonization or electrification. And so I, first of all, I would say don't do innovation theater. Don't tell people that you have a process that you, you're agile. If you use those things to enable a business outcome, good on you. But if your goal is to create that capability instead of have a capability that enables a business outcome, you've got it wrong way around. So be clear that you're trying to create future earning streams for the company. You're trying to create new capabilities. You're trying to access new markets or attack adjacent areas that you authentically should get your fair share of. And so the conversation has to be around demonstrating with rigor why you believe that your company can move into that. Is it buy, build, acquire? Is it partnership? How good are you at partnering then? So a quick example would be we've vetted over 1,500 companies in the last four years that were in scale up or startup phase around energy management, energy efficiency, artificial intelligence, and, and all kinds of, of things. Now, traditionally, an NDA in our environment might be something with 20 pages long. We now have a two-page, simple, short, sharp agreement that we can turn around within 24 hours so that we can continue to have really, really intelligent conversations and either shut them down quickly or move them on quickly. If you look at pilot process as an example, pilot in the uh, energy sector used to be 18 to 24 months. Pilots to, to us get shot in the head at, at 90 days. So and uh, for startups and scale-ups, speed to revenue, speed to annual recurring revenue is mission critical. So if you want to tie up their time in something like that, they're not going to be interested. And uh, so I think it's really important that you look practically at what you're trying to accomplish. Don't just say, I, I looked at a thousand companies, say, actually, last year out of China, I looked at 60 and I'm actually implementing 11, which is what I can say. And uh, several of those we may also invest in as a strategic investor because we believe that they're top right quadrant. So A, we would use the technology. 
B, we think it's going to be a winner in our sector. And C, we can help them grow by participating where we have capital and geography. Just say no to innovation theater. You can't just evangelize a process. And I, the, the tactical things like the two-page NDA is perfect because that, that creates speed, right? Correct. What do you see as the big challenges once you decide where to play? Are you looking at investing more? How, how are you balancing the, the portfolio? I, I think most incumbent organizations in uh, almost every sector are presumptuous and arrogant to believe that they can build stuff. Today, there are fantastic solutions available today out there. Uh, you, you know, we have scout and scan capability in the U.S., in Israel, in Europe, in Australia, China, and we have a filtering process to be able to look at the best and most interesting companies and then rigorously assess their ability to work with us on a set of strategic criteria. Having said that, partner selection, critical to to the process. Are they aligned with your values? Do, do you believe that they have sustainable innovation? Do they have protectable IP? Uh, how do you plan to execute in a partnership together? How is that structured, uh, both from a commercial and an operational execution perspective? And show me why that's sustainable. So if you know that you don't have the competencies inside your organization and you're telling your organization you want to build them up, I, I think you're going to have, a, you should appropriately be very, very, face very, very tough question. As you're doing all the scanning in the different markets, if the partner's not ticking those boxes, I would imagine you have to build. Yeah. And so Smart Energy Connect is, is a platform uh, for us, but it's a, a cloud-based environment where uh, companies can come in uh, with us and you have a, a framework and tiers of deeper integration with what we offer, which is domain knowledge, energy information, data and insights from operational energy assets, whether those are in buildings, whether those are consumer homes, whatever it is, and we mix that with that that software solution provider and we create new and enriched value. So we had to create an environment. We did not go out and build software solutions. We created an environment where we could rapidly onboard, uh, both technically and commercially, and then also protect from a cyber perspective. Because the last thing I would say is everything we're doing today is exponentially, with sensor-driven awareness, we're exponentially increasing our threat platform risk. And that is new to the energy sector where historically it was OT and IT parsed. So smart, sustainable, connected cities today are exponential uh, threat surfaces for, for those who wish to do harm to society. But imagine you're getting smarter around cybersecurity as you create these platforms. Well, it's one of the key areas that we, A, focused on early, and in fact, have even made strategic investments in and have been early deployers of technologies across all of that infrastructure, asset play, and also at the front end with the consumer side. Any final tips or principles for someone who is maybe facing a bit more of uh, internal friction when doing the scout and scans? Anything that's kind of guided you uh, over the career? I think the one thing that I, I try to constantly remind myself of is in a role like mine, you have an enormous privilege to help an organization orchestrate change. And so the, that privilege comes with an enormous obligation to demonstrate that you are as rigorous and attentive to detail. It's not grow fast, fail fast, have fun. This is work hard, be diligent, be disciplined, and put forward the best informed choices uh, that are available in the environment and be prepared to defend those well and then uh, stand up and be accountable for any consequence and then be unafraid of that. You know, whether it's a $5 million investment in a company that normally makes $500 million, I take that as seriously as when I made a $500 million investment. So it's a, it's a much different playing field for the incumbent where you need to introduce that rigor that you've been highlighting throughout the conversation. 
but also the speed that goes in parallel to that rigor. When you get it right, Andrew, what the validation of that is in large respected parts of the organization are leading by example, and they're doing that work. And so they're, they're embracing those external parties, and they are actually the ones who are, are advocating how and why these things need to get done and are getting done. And so when it is pervasive in your organization, you know that it has some grounding. And if people are uncomfortable with some ambiguity and uncomfortable with a, a faster pace, but are working hard and embracing it, then you're moving the right direction. These topics we're hitting on, whether it's what's happening in the market around sustainability and what kind of internal changes need in order to reach these goals, I feel like we could have another show about it. Such an important topic. I would love to see and learn more about what you're doing beyond Smart Energy Connect. So I appreciate, Austin, for you spending the time and uh, thanks for coming on. For our guest today, we have Gisa Springer with us. Gisa co-leads LEAP in McKinsey Europe's global energy and mining practice, and she has helped traditional industries in energy and materials build their corporate innovation engines. Gisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here today. So on this episode, Austin talks a lot about how incumbents need to take different steps to decide where to play in business building. He talks about being more comfortable with ambiguity and a different pace on going through a process to decide how to make that build by partner decision, specifically around venture building. Curious on, in your experience, any stories, tactics on that? Yes, I'm happy to share a little bit of a perspective on that. Before we go there, though, it might be you know, a good thing to take a little bit of a step back to say, when we talk about new business building, right, in adjacencies to the core, it's no longer really a choice for incumbents. It's really become a necessity for them. And the reason I say this is because in multiple sectors, right, the rise of new venture-backed startups has placed their established business models under a lot of pressure. So one proxy for that is the creation of new, new unicorns, right? And you will see that the growth in new unicorns has been exponential over the last couple of years, 2018 and 2019, so an all-time high of those unicorns. And also attached to that, right, mega funding rounds of 100 million, of greater 100 million per round. So with that, clearly, this idea of value creation has shifted a little bit, right? It shifted from the incumbents, uh, companies that roughly are more than 30 years old, to that of new ventures, so younger companies, if you will. And so what that means for established businesses, especially in mature markets, is that new business building is really an avenue to new growth. And some of them have realized that. And it's particularly pronounced in the energy sector, which is where both Austin and I, I think, spend a lot of our time, where traditional and upstream you know, oil and gas business models are under unbelievable pressure as we speak. And there's a real need to replace these lost revenues and do so quickly. So with that, you already have a lot of that impetus, I think, that's needed for business building in the first place. Then the question becomes, to, to your point, once you know that, how do you go about identifying the one adjacency, right, or the one new business model that you really want to play in? And this is very much a, it's a little bit of an art and a science, right? But it comes down a little bit to understanding the market opportunity. Is there really enough headroom to create a billion-dollar business um, and quickly? 
something like over the next five to seven years, will it have the potential to really disrupt the industry, right? Is the business model so new, so innovative that it could really bring something new to, uh, you know, to a whole set of established players and, and business models? That's two. And then three is, will I, you know, will I achieve this with partners or an ecosystem that's actually that's relevant to me and that I can tap into? Or would I have to, to build it from scratch? Either way works, but it's an important consideration at the beginning. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of incumbents, in the light of the impetus that you described of, with the, the value creation from the unicorns, that being a forcing mechanism to evaluate where to play in the, the different criteria you just explained, sometimes is also the answer, right? Is, is if, you look at the, if you look at the unicorns, you know, many incumbents have the ability to tick the box on the criteria around, uh, do we have the right partners, the right capabilities, the right capital, branding, et cetera. It's just a matter of deciding to jump in and, and to localize some of these things as well. And to really bring this advantage that they have, right? This what we've dubbed advantage of the, you know, corporate mothership that they've built, which is to your, you know, which is to your point, IP, brand, distribution, right? To bring all of these things to these new ventures in a way that allows them to operate at pace and to really tap into these resources that quite frankly, every standalone startup would kill for. And specifically in the energy sector, right? And we, we spoke a lot with Austin on the topic of sustainability and timelines for this. There is this movement to more towards asset light business models. And he was talking about, um, you know, energy as a service and creating a platform where using analytics and all these new digital capabilities that, that can drive these platforms. What What's your opinion on this? Is, is this, does this seem to be sort of the, the model for, for many energy businesses outside of utilities, sort of the, the platform asset light play? Yeah, I mean, I think there's certainly something there, right? And all of this is really motivated by these new and emerging trends in sustainability that we're seeing. So you've mentioned the topic of carbon transparency, right? That is obviously, that is a massive deal and a massive issue for all of the energy players. And the jury is still out there. How do you actually go about, what is the business model, right? That you can use in order to, in a st very standardized way, right? Measure, for example, your carbon footprint, right? It's increasingly important for any business interested in succeeding in this, in this world to take tangible and measurable actions to address the climate impact. And yet, you know, there is no one standard, there is no specific business model that, that's in place right now that can take this and really, um, you know, build a, a successful business model around this. So for sure, this idea of, you know, the, the, the carbon light model is already, uh, sorry, the carbon light, the asset light model is already very clear in this one particular example, which is also going to make, I think, the investments, which is another trend we're seeing, right, which is the investments from corporate buyers that are increasingly coming into the space ever easier. Because, the, you know, already we're seeing dramatic growth and really growing appetite from corporate buyers to, you know, to procure renewable energy to come into a new energy sector 
And this extends beyond the early adopters like the Amazons or the Microsofts really to the industrial sector and very often educational institutions as well. And so with that, right, the more there is around, again, an asset light model and something that makes it easier for them to really enjoy the platform benefits of this business model that you're building, I think the lower the bar also for them to, to enter and to really put more money behind this and more growth. Yeah, Austin mentioned that as well. The, the, the corporate buyers, I mean, the, the demand side is, is shifting. You know, data warehouses that are being built in, in, in Asia are, are requiring clean energy mandates at scale now. And you combine that with asset light, you know, platforms that, that uh, have analytics that can, that can create efficiencies in these data warehouses, and it's just all very additive. And it, and it seems that once you decide, you know, where to play, you have sort of this forcing mechanism from the unicorns that are, that are capturing a lot of the, the value and you decide to jump in, then it's almost like the really hard work starts and around, you know, creating team culture. And, you know, every time we talk about business building and many of the, the podcast shows, this seems to be one of the toughest areas, especially within incumbents. How do you how do you engender this type of startup culture? It's almost become cliche, and 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 Austin talks about how not to just create you know innovation theater, but to to create authentic culture. And and uh, how how in your experience are you seeing incumbents win at this? I love it because really this is the holy grail of it all, isn't it? <laughs> you bring in you bring in the right people. Um, you allow them or you create the right setting for them to really operate at their best, and then you know good things will follow from that. But the question is how how do you go about that? And I think this notion of it all starts with culture is is a, a really good one, and that's what I've also seen in in my work, where it's very important, right, to align with them in the beginning on what is it that you're trying to create here, right? What is the set of values that we're all striving, you know, to to go after? And, and this idea of purpose, which has become a, a big factor in, you know, in decision making, not just, you know, for the younger generation, if you will, but for a lot of these entrepreneurs, right, that are out there and really trying to create the next generation of unicorns. And so for, for me, it starts there. So you really need to create a set of very clear values and a very clear direction for where you would want to take this business. And then, you know, you need to combine it with an operating model that allows this you know, very gifted talent to really operate at pace and to not be slowed down by the you know, corporate burden, if you will, on the other side of the house. So it's the operating model. And that then for me comes combined with a governance model that enables very quick, very autonomous decision-making by, you know, by this team, by these folks that have come in and are now have one mission, which is to create the next call it new energy unicorn. So it's this triangle, if you will, of values, operating model and governance, and one enables the other. And it's really bringing the three together that hopefully creates the right environment for these folks, not to just succeed, but flourish. I guess the team needs to emulate uh, the different rituals from leadership. It really needs to come from there, doesn't it? From leadership. It does need to come from there and, and it needs to, the team also needs to be trusted, right? It's this idea that they have the 
coverage, if you will, the air cover from the senior most level within the mothership that is to say, you know, go test things, right? And move at pace. And if you create noise, then that's great because that's what we want you to do, right? You should be creating noise because that means that you are doing something new. You are doing, uh, you know, something that perhaps goes counter to what we have done for decades, but at the same time that will allow us to reinvent our own business as we go along. It is for the corporates that, you know, we are both working with. I think that is a difficult balance to strike sometimes, right? Because with that comes this idea, a little bit of also relinquishing control because you are making these teams more autonomous, more flexible. And with that, you are giving them more decision-making power. And so that is a that is a, an interesting, not conflict, but just an interesting place for a lot of these corporates to find themselves in. And it's still, I think, work in progress for most of them. I mean, I could talk for another hour on this topic. Gisa, th- thanks so much for sharing some of your perspectives and uh, would love to have you back on again. Absolutely. This was fun. Thank you so much, Andrew. You have been listening to The Venture with me, Andrew Roth. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to leave a review and rating on your favorite episode. We will be back with a brand new episode next month.